This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Saddam, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast, the conversations we have every day. They're a major part of how we get things done, how we learn, and how we deal with conflict. That's why communication is such a big part of this podcast. Now, today's guest is Dr. Pauline Crawford Honks. She is the author of Magical Conversations Transforming Conflict into collaboration. Now, Pauline has over 30 years of business experience working with corporate teams and career professionals. And what I really like about what Pauline is doing is the fact she focuses on the people in organizations and recognizes that the conversations they have are the key to shifting hearts and minds so that we can work better together. That's why I think this episode of the Crucial Talks podcast is going to be so valuable because we get to talk about those conversations and what really matters to have them be an effective way of getting things done. So welcome to the Crucial Talks podcast, Pauline. How are you today? I'm absolutely brilliant and I'm so delighted to be here, Mike. It's, it's, it's really good. I love having conversations. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're about ready to have a good one and I think we're going to get a lot of value from what you do. So as we move down this road and we start talking about conversations, can you tell us a little bit about you and why you're so passionate about what you do and what you're trying to help people with? Well, I, I'm... Um I've always been a chatterer and a connector ever since I was a small girl. Um, I'm British. I'm a silver surfer. I'm in my mature years. And I've had a lot of conversations all the way around the world. And you can have a conversation so often that doesn't get you somewhere. And then you have other conversations that just fill your heart up and make your life rich. And I love those ones. And they make you smile. And smiling has always been a, a very, very important thing to me. So I've traveled around the world. I spent a lot of my life in the UK. I spent four years in Malaysia, and I'm now in America. And what I'm fascinated by is the conversations people have in different countries or different cultures and how we actually maximize the value because we all know how to talk. I mean, fortunately, if we're, if we're not dumb, then we can talk. But talking isn't the same as having the conversation. So I, I, I just, it's my passion. It's my life. Um, I, I can be on my own and stop talking, but it's my preference to be in conversation. So let's go for it, Mike. <laughs> well, and I, I love the statement you just made. I want to hit this first because I think it's valuable for people to understand how important it is to realize what a real conversation is because you just said talking isn't the same as having a conversation. So what is it that really separates conversation with some, or I guess valuable conversation with some of the things we have daily where it's small talk, where there's not a whole lot of value, where you don't get that richness out of it. What is a conversation that you're talking about? Well, for me, it's, it's about the flow. It has to flow. And when it's flowing, it doesn't mean that you're um, pontificating, uh, if everybody knows what that means. Um, when I was a, a young girl, we, my family always had lots and lots of family parties. And I can remember observing some conversations would flow and 
and there'd be laughter and smiling and interjection and it would just go from one to the other. But there were there was one uncle who used to pontificate and he always knew that when he started talking, the conversation would stop and we would have to listen because he would come up with some major piece of information judgment. And I and I could almost feel the room sighing as as he started talking. And then as soon as he finished, it would get back into a flow. And that's what I observed is that conversation is an energy flow from one to another. And it could be just between two people or three people or five people or even in a large audience. And I think that's the the, the fabulous thing when you have a conversation with a, a larger audience. And, and you can have that. And obviously, not everyone is speaking, but you make sure that the, the flow of what you're saying goes out and it connects with individuals in the audience who maybe are just smiling or laughing or, it, or gesticulating, but there's, there's an energy flow. So that is really important about conversation. Now, this energy flow, I mean, you, you mentioned smiling. You meant, mentioned richness. You mentioned that you've had these experiences with different cultures around the world and how you've realized that conversations maximize value. How important is conversation to actually making decisions? Because I've talked a lot about decisions being emotionally driven and not really driven just by the data. Yeah. What does conversation have to do with these decisions we make in the world based on emotion or or in our businesses, in our relationships? Well, what's really important is that, and this is where the magic comes in, is that, you know, when you watch a magician who's fantastic at magic and you go, oh, he couldn't possibly do that. You know, he passes a a metal object through glass and you go, no, no, that's what, but I've just watched it. And, And for me, magical is about making the unbelievable believable. So if you have a conversation where something comes out that you never really expected, and actually it's incredibly emotional, it's uplifting, it's creative. That's what happens when you have a magical conversation because you let go of your ego. And this is one of the important things I've written about in my book. It's about you have to let go of your ego and go into the flow. So you're going into a conversation, not deciding what it is before you get there. So in a business world, when I work in a business group, it's a timed experience and in that time, nobody is allowed to control the outcome. You've just got to let the flow happen. And what's happening is that, uh, you know, when you have a really, you meet somebody and they're, they're, you're totally attracted to them and you're buzzing with conversation, you don't plan what you're saying, but all sorts of magical things come out. You've had that experience, I'm sure. Now, we can, we can maximize that in a, a decision-making capacity by just saying, delay the decision-making until you've got lots of more magical information. And actually, it is data. It's data. I call it data. You call it data. <laughs> That's the difference between American and English. <laughs> but, um, uh, no, let's call the whole thing off. Let's actually say, you know, what you collect in even in an hour's magical conversation that's constructed with certain rules, you get absolute richness. People come up with a spark of an idea and somebody else sparks it and then it spark- and it flows and you capture it and you go, wow, where did that come from? It came from our, our energy and our spirit and our imagination. And our imagination is not trapped in data. data. It's not trapped in transactional conversation or communication, rather. So conversation, it, it puts um, a spark to creativity. 
because creativity is something that isn't there before. Well, and that's what I love what you're saying, because you said to let go of ego and get yep. into the flow. And what I love about that is you're really removing that, that thing that I see in meetings all the time where a leader calls a meeting and they want to have a conversation, they think, and they want to get good ideas, but they put out there and sometimes what they do may actually close off that conversation or close off the ideas because whether they mean to or not, they put their idea out there in a way that does kind of have ego with it or position with it. And it sounds like what you're, what you're saying is the way you can guide these conversations allows creativity and innovation to be part of that so that it's not restricted. So it is, uh, and I love how you titled it, it is magical because you're creating this opportunity or this environment where you can leverage those social networks and the social bonds and the social trust to, to really get the benefit of human beings, which is our creativity, our innovation, our ability to, to deal with issues and to, to solve problems creatively, that sort of thing. What you're doing almost sounds like you're creating an environment where that kind of thing can flourish. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and if you take the, you know, you, you understand that everybody has something to give. Now, um, that's not what they learned at school. Maybe that's some information, skill sets, but they've got an imagination and they've got natural skills. They've got a natural uh, perception and um, perspective. So when you open the environment to say, right, nobody comes with an ego. We come with our experience, not our judgment. That's the first rule of a magical conversation because you want to remove assumptions and make it a free space. And you put the, the top, you put the topic of conversation in the middle of the circle, not at the head of the table. So when the, if the leader wants to know something about um, collaboration, for instance, then he doesn't come in and say, okay, today we're going to talk about collaboration. I want to know what you're thinking. That's really not going to make creativity flow. But if we say we're going to sit around that subject, it's like it's in the center, and we're just going to share our experiences without ego and actually explore where those experiences taken all these different people around the table and see what comes out and how that applies to who we are as individuals in a group. And you make that happen in a, in a, a space which is encouraging and light. Um, you know, I would say if I, if I had my way, I would change every square boardroom table to a round one just as a first. <laughs> because, you know, once we get into that circle of no ego, uh, we bring our experience, our imagination, all sorts of things can happen. And I think what, what the, the corporate, very transactional world doesn't understand is, but what next? Well, the what next comes after you finish the magical conversation. So you don't try and, try and control the conversation while it's flowing. You allow it to bubble and, and be creative. And then you might take time out and come back to it and look at what's happened and say, yeah, okay, let's see if we can put an action point on that. Does that well, make sense, Mike? It does. And you said a couple of really interesting things there that I kind of want to hit on because I think it's valuable for, for anybody, whether they're on a team or they are the leader or they're in a relationship. Because what you said was the topic of conversations in the middle, it's not from the top. And the reason this exists, because you're trying to create a free space where people can converse about the issue or about what they what they need to to 
has to be a rich conversation where ideas can come from and then what comes next comes after that. But really what you, what you said, I want to hit on now because I think it's, it's part of what you do and part of your experience and you alluded, you alluded to it um, in the beginning, but you just said that you have different people around the table and these different people, every corporation, like your, your ability to, to connect people or to have these magical conversations isn't based on something that seems to be very static or very um, confined to a step-by-step process. What it sounds like is you're saying people are different around the world. We have different backgrounds. They have different cultures, different genders, different races, different upbringings, different education. But what's really neat about what you're saying is you recognize and draw out the differences in people or at least recognize that people are diverse. And then after that conversation happens, then you can start to apply it to people as individuals. And I love that because so many times we look at people as individuals, when in reality, because we are very social, but those social bonds and those social groups are so different that's where a lot of value comes from. So can we, can we talk a little bit about the difference of people and maybe in your background, how these differences, they need to be recognized, but not only do they need to be recognized, but they need to be recognized as where the, the value and where we can draw a lot of benefit from is from this diversity or from these differences. Well, that's right. And I mean, the word diversity and inclusion is banded around, but I, I often wonder whether that needs to be the topic in the middle of the table. You know, we, we are all unique. Uh, we have a unique fingerprint in the world. And yet there are a lot of similarities about us. You know, as human beings, we all breathe the same air. We eat food to survive. But um, some of the, the, the major differences, which are gender, culture, etc., are important to honor and recognize. So the one that I focus on a lot is the gender dynamics. And this isn't just men and women, but it's different types of men and different types of women. Because this is a very fundamental diversity that we're born with. And this is not uh, this is not about sexual orientation or, or culture or whatever. It's actually very very simple that you know we're born as a boy or a girl, and part of our biology and our, our brain patterns impacts our behaviour. Now, as we grow in this world today, we've got a lot of uh, subject matter about equality and diversity, and you know everybody's very contentious about men and women. But essentially, if we value difference, and this is my baseline. If we say differences are valuable, then who is sitting around my table? Who's in my group? Who's in the coffee bar with me? Is it a group of women? And therefore, there is some synergy about all being women, but we know women are different. There might be very masculine-minded women or feminine-minded women. There might be mature baby boomer women, or there might be very young millennial women. There might be, I had a magical conversation circle in Malaysia, which was Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Christian, nothing. I mean, we had an amazing variety of religions around the table, but we were all women. So we would explore subject matter from our similarity by honoring differences. And one of the things I, I teach a lot about is that if we don't understand our differences, what happens is they turn into difficulties. And once you have a difficulty, then the magical conversation becomes difficult. It's not because uh, we are difficult, we're different. 
Uh, so do you understand what I mean? I think this is a very important part because I hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, it's about toxic femininity or toxic masculinity. I say, no, it's about toxicity. It's like, you know, I get asked, um, what happens if somebody is angry in a magical conversation circle? And I say, well, if you they continue, continue to be angry, because my second rule is no anger in a magical conversation. So I said, if they continue to be angry, then it ceases to be a magical conversation. And unless that anger is managed by the space that you've created, then it will either disintegrate or that person will leave and it will reform. So it, it's, um, it's about a powerful intention to understand human beings are unique and different. And if we value differences and honor them, then we get the most, then we get the juiciest bits coming into the conversation. Now, we might not all agree with each other, but if we take the first rule, which I put in for magical conversations, which is no judgment, then you listen to what everybody says. Um, if it's at variance with what you think, then you absorb it and allow it to flow. And in my experience, in any group, if you have this um, conscious intention, it will start bubbling into the right place. And by the right place, I mean the creative place where everybody can go away with at least one aha. Uh, and that was my goal. Well, and that's where I think you have a lot of value. And I love where this is going because what you said was differences are valuable. And you said yep. that it's we have to honor those differences because that may prevent some of those conflicts. And, and really what I love about what you're saying really comes down to the discussions I've had with people before, had them on the podcast, talked to people about before, which is the notion of social identity in groups and out groups and how we adopt multiple roles in our lives to really make sense of the world around us and to, to judge our own behavior, to figure out how to behave. And what's interesting about what you said is when you look at intergroup dynamics and in-group versus an out-group, that versus is very important and it's nuanced because what, what basically you said was, hey, if you have if, if, if what role you're playing at the time, so say you have a group yeah. of people around the table, you're trying to have a magical conversation, but the role two people are playing are in conflict with each other, that really stifles that conversation. It makes people defensive. But what I love about what you said is you're having conversations with people of different religious backgrounds, but you are all women. So really what it, what it came down to it sounds like you have a way or an ability to make people recognize, hey, we do all adopt different identities, different roles, mm -hmm. categorize, categorize ourselves into different groups. However, what you're able to do, and this is what I really want to draw in on because I think mm -hmm. it's super valuable for people, is the, the ability to either have a superordinate goal that people can focus on that kind of transcends all those different roles or what's even more uh, beneficial from your experience, what you're saying is the idea of a kind of a superordinate identity or an identity that everybody has has a similar uh, frame of reference for, which allows them to to almost break down some of those silos because they see mm. a similar identity or similar similar role. So when you're doing this, when you're having this magical conversation and you're considering uh, differences, how do you get people to really recognize that there are similarities and those similarities 
can create the, a rich conversation that they can have. How do you kind of lead them through that? Well, um, let, me, let me tell you a story about an experience um, that I had in, in Malaysia when I was, I was running a mixed group uh, about how men and women work together. Um, so I had men and women, and they were all Muslim. So there was an overlay of a culture, and they all worked for the Ministry of Women, so there was another overlay. But I said, right, we're just going to identify differences between men and women. This is our starting point, and then we're going to understand how we come together. So in order to do that, um, I played a very simple exercise, which is how we can understand each other. So we've got to get into groups which are similar. So in this room, I had men and women. So there were two groups. Now, if I were doing generation, I would have had older and younger. So you, you split the group by the, 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 the difference that you want to explore. So we have men on one side and women on the other. <clears throat> and I asked a very simple question, and you can think about this as I said. I asked the men, how would you describe women? And how would you describe men? So they've got a flip chart, they do that. The women do the same exercise. So the women are on the other side of the room, they're going, how would you describe women? How would you describe men? So you visualize those two lists. And the first thing that happens is the men write far less words than the women. So the, the, that difference becomes apparent in the room. The men are going, oh, how, why are they still writing more words? Because women have lots more words. So when you turn the boards around and you start exploring it, one of the statements is that everything that's written is true. Everything that's written is true because it's been written by the person who's written it, the group that's written it. So even though within the men's group there may be differences, they're writing as men and the women are writing as women. And then you start exploring the conversation by bringing them together. So then you mix them together and say, well, this is really interesting because there's a word on there, on, that, on the women's board, that's the same as the one on men's board, but it's contrary because... That's what men think women are, and they said that's women think men are. And it gives you a way of exploring from a point of ownership. So you can't say, well, that's wrong, because if the women have written it, that's what they believe. Um, and it, it just it starts breaking down these barriers of ownership of content, because nothing is wrong and not everything is true, but it isn't uh, factual. So if women say men are bossy and men say women are bossy, that's a, that's a point of view. We have to explore what does that mean in terms of being a boss. And so then you mix them together and you have magical conversations based on those rules that I said. No judgment, don't make assumptions, don't get angry, and don't try and control outcome until you've really explored what is coming up for you. But the ownership of the, the difference is very important. I hope that makes sense. It definitely does. And these rules about these magical conversations really seem to be uh, pretty valuable. I mean, it, it seems valuable in, in just about anything we're going to do. I like the mm -hmm. fact that you're saying, hey, no judgments. Don't make assumptions. Don't get angry. Don't try to control the outcome. And I like this idea about, I mean, and I see the other ones, right? The no judgment, the no assumptions, how that could be mm -hmm. limiting don't get angry because the emotions could then close things off or or really hinder or stifle the conversation. Mm. But this notion of don't try to control the outcome, I really like this just because it goes back to this idea that that we do socially construct the reality around us, that 
a lot of times our perceptions are not really what we see, but what we believe we're going to see. And that can be very limiting to how we deal with issues and how we make decisions. And I like that you're, you're talking about don't try to control the outcome because if you do that, it seems like what that does is you don't have a preconceived notion of the path the conversation is going to take. So you don't actively try to guide the conversation into a place you think it's already going to go. Is that what I'm getting from you? Well, I am. And and you see, what's interesting in reflection is that we, we have a world which is pretty, I'm right, you're wrong. We've got a lot of I'm right, you're wrong people out there in the world, in politics, in government, in uh, corporate uh, boardrooms sometimes, you know. And if the, if, the, if the man or the woman comes into the room and says X, Y, Z, like, I'm right, now discuss, it's very difficult. Whereas if they say, this is a possibility, let's explore this and have a conversation, you're going to get much more buy-in and much more... Uh, contributing creativity. But we, we have a transactional world that has been around for a long time. It says, you know, I'm right, you're, therefore you're wrong. Um, and that limits people, puts them into fear. And if you're quiet, you don't come forward. And if you're loud, you might get kicked. So, you know, we're, we're, we're creating fear often. And this happens in business, in families, in, in, in obviously in governments. Uh, we end up with wars. You know, fear is what drives people to not say something or say, yes, sir, when actually they don't want to say that. Um, and the idea of opening up magical conversations is to release this creativity in a safe space. So I'll give you an example. You know, I've been in a circle where somebody has started getting a bit, a bit judgmental, a bit argumentative. And what you can do is to just say to them quite calmly is is it you know what you've said is of interest but you're taking up too much space and it's going against uh, the rules uh, would you like to stay or would you like to leave now the, the the person given that ownership a choice you're not saying get out you're saying so you know would you like to obey the rules and stay but if you if you don't obey the rules then we invite you to leave and given that responsibility people mostly stay well, and I love that really because, and I, I think it's very nuanced, the difference here, because we want people to be responsible. We want them to be part of the conversation. But really what I like about this, this idea of ownership when you're trying to have these positive type communications is the fact that you're, you're basically saying, look, you still have control and you're still engaged with what you do, but mm. we need to all understand that that you are in control of of your decision so you can either you still have ownership you can choose to follow these rules and be part of this or you could choose to leave and not be part of it because basically what you're saying is it's more important for the group to have this conversation than for your own individual need to be right oh absolutely and that's why you know if somebody gets very egotistical uh or very angry uh, and people often say to me but I'm angry about a subject matter I said you can bring your passion but not your anger <laughs> you know the two things are different um, but it's about recognizing that energy flow is honoring everybody in the room everybody in the group and that's why the ideal size for a, a, a 
constructed magical conversation is never more than 12 and probably eight is a good number because you want to be able to to feel the energy of each person um so the other thing i have run is is where you have you have 10 tables of eight and they're all having a similar conversation and then you you pull the information together and that's very powerful as well because you feel the buzz in the room and everybody's engaged rather than sitting in an audience where you might be very entranced by the speaker, but you're still on your own. Yeah, it really sounds very, very much like, you know, we hear about span and control, and that's why I like the fact that you're, you're saying eight is a good number. And I think there's um, data and studies actually back that up, that yeah. eight is a, a good number or around there is a good number for a small group because you do get to kind of have that that social esteem and social bond and social belonging that we all crave as human beings. So yes. I'm wondering if, you know, you've got these, these small groups, but then you had more tables. And so you had these groups and maybe you break it up. You have 10 tables of eight. So that's 80 people. How do you manage those conversations? I, and the reason I'm going down this road is because I think a lot of business owners or, or companies that have a greater number of people that have maybe multiple teams that work together, but they want to engage their employees. They want to create a yeah. workplace environment that is beneficial for everybody. Are there any tips you can give to when you run workshops like that or, or conversations like that on how somebody might be able to create this, this safe and honoring environment for conversation so that they get feedback from all these different groups. Well, they do. And I mean, it is, um, it's one of the engagement exercises that, that I offer my clients. And there is, um, if you like, there's a, a piece of paper, a sheet with, an, with whatever the topic is um, sitting on the table and it's timed. So you might be saying to those 10 tables, you might do an intro with, you know, with the exploration is about, let's give you an example, customer service. Okay, so we're going to have five magical conversations and they're going to build on customer service. But each one is separate and each one is for you as a table just to explore. And we're going to give you 15 minutes each. So it'll be timed. There's no head of the table. It's just what's your thoughts about this? But you design the, uh, the sheet to be able to focus the data into a question so that the tables are answering it. So each table has the same question. Each table is having a magical conversation. Each is about the same thing, but each one is different because you've got, you've got eight different people around each of those tables. But what is making them the same is they all work for this company, for instance. Um, and they might all be middle management or they might be the whole company all mixed up because there's no hierarchy. So you're looking at what's the commonality, customer service, what's the commonality at the company. What's different is each table is having their buzzing conversation. And as you close the 15 minutes, you don't do any plenaries or anything like that to slow it down. You just pick up the piece of paper and you move on to the next conversation. And people get really excited because then they go, oh, right, yeah, where's the next one? It, yeah. And, and also there's a sense in the room about, you know, and you stick all the pieces of paper on the wall, you know, so after, say, five conversations, you've got 10 times five, and you've got all these pieces around the room, and you stop the whole thing, and you go and have coffee or lunch, come back, and you start looking at this gallery of magical conversations about customer service in this company. 
and you wouldn't believe the richness that comes out. And then you can start, you can put in some other processes and about, so how do we, how do we see what's similar? You know, oh, that table, every table said X, wow. So every table said we should smile at the customer. That's the top one. You see what I mean? So, but what happens in the room is everybody owns what's going on. They own their own table. They own their own contribution, but they also own the energy of the whole room. And, and I've seen this work, and it's incredibly powerful. Um, and, and you can multiply the process. So as well as learning what a magical conversation is and having that in their daily team meetings, they're also part of something bigger. But they're not sitting in an audience in rows. Well, and I really like everything you're saying there because I, I find a number of, of valuable lessons from that. So the first thing is this does work with bigger groups, but what I like about it is the fact that you're dealing with commonalities. You're dealing yes. with that, that superordinate identity that maybe, okay, I'm in sales and I'm in marketing and I'm in safety and I'm in janitorial and I'm in all these different, you know, manufacturing, whatever, yeah. that they may play these different roles within their company. But the fact that you can, relate it to a commonality. We all work for the same company or yeah. we all have the same goal of customer service. Whatever it happens to be is very valuable because it, again, it, it gets them to share an identity that now they can work together on. And also what I like is the fact that you talked about how it gets people excited. And what I yeah. like about that is it seems like, and, and this is important, I think, for any business, any entrepreneur, any leader, that when they're having these conversations a lot of times things will stagnate, but what it sounds like you do is, and you, I love your, your notion of excitement because it sounds to me that as you're moving through these exercises, you keep the momentum build up. You're, yeah. you're continuing to move and continue to be active, and that increases engagement is what it sounds like to me. Well, it is, and also it, it's a very, you could actually disseminate uh, information in this way. I mean, I use this with my gender dynamics work with a mixed audience because um, we're all fascinated about how men and women get on and, uh, you know, what their differences are. And you put them into these magical conversations. You, you start with a conversation about, you know, almost like the one I said, you know, what, make, what makes a good female leader was one that I used and men and women both wrote, wrote about that same subject. And then I built up into, you know, when does it, when does it not work? And, and what, what is interesting is that they're engaging in some information in between each magical conversation. You can do that sort of um, impart some information and then whiz it into the conversation. But the key thing is that ownership. They go out at the end thinking, actually, I created that day okay, there was information coming in, but I took it and I created information about myself and my team players, the people at my table, and about my company. And that's the most empowering thing that happens during those kind of activities. Because so often in business, we're so busy doing what we're doing. Uh, we might get on with our own team, but we don't get to feel the whole organization apart from walking down the corridor. Uh, and we're too many, too many times where what's the KPI and where's the deadline? Whereas this is absolutely about the culture of a business, culture of a community. Uh, that's what I love about it. Well, and that's what I love about what you're saying, because really what I'm hearing from you is all of this information 
that comes down to the key is ownership that they feel mm. like they created that day. And I know for a fact that in today's world, people feel more disengaged from their employment than probably oh. at any time before. And it, this is what I love about people like you and what you're doing and how we have these, these conversations about, about these types of techniques because it really is about getting people engaged because now, and you said it yourself, they feel like they're part of the organization. Mm. And when people feel like they're part of the organization, they feel like they created this something. They feel like they were empowered and part of that conversation, part of the decision-making, part of the outcome ultimately that comes from it. Now they do have ownership. Not only do they have ownership in that decision or that process, but little by little, you now have a company of people that feel like they're owners and not just employees. That's right. And I think there's something that you talk about. They feel like they belong. Now, belonging is a very human need. You know, we, we like to know how we belong. How do we belong to our family? How do we belong at school? You know, what, what's my part in this? And that's at, in, a, in an organization, that's equally important to know to belong. You don't need to know everything. You don't need to know what the CEO is thinking, but you need to understand what the energy of the business is and, and how you're part of it. And that ownership in belonging is really part of our fulfillment of life and our ability then to share that with other people and the ripple effect to collaboration. So we talk a lot about collaboration at the moment, but I wonder whether if we have a conversation, a magical conversation and put collaboration in the middle of the table, we will get eight different views. And that is what's interesting. Well, yeah, it's very interesting. And it's really interesting that all of this really wraps itself around some of the notions we've talked about today. And we've talked about the fact that we can recognize differences, that yeah. we, can, we can recognize and honor those differences. So it's not a something that separates us or silos us, but by recognizing it and honoring it and then creating something that's that's similar for everybody. We can have these magical conversations, but then what comes out of that is that everyone kind of feels like they know what's going on. Everyone feels like they have some ownership. People start to feel like they're part of the organization. And another benefit I kind of see from my perspective is that the more of this you do, the more that you practice it, the more that these types of conversations become part of the lifeblood of that organization and then it can lead to a cultural shift that as you deal with day-to-day -day issues, these types of communication skills, these types of, of the ability to have or the capacity to have these types of conversations just really becomes woven into part of the organization. And it, it seems like the same momentum that may build during your workshop where you have, you know, 10 tables of eight people that momentum as you do these actually becomes how business is getting done on the day-to-day. -day. Well, that's right. And another thing that came up for me just then was it's about recognition. You know, recognition, even if you're the, you know, the lowest um, paid worker or you're, and you might be sitting at the table with a senior, uh, a top executive from the same company, but at the point you're talking about customer service, you're just human beings. And then you can recognize each other. And being able to be recognized and being celebrated for what you naturally do, which is a, a, another key facet of my work. I love to help people understand what they naturally gifted at, which they never learned at school. They just got born with it. And I think those are things that we forget to honor. Um, but, that, but being recognized 
as part of that organization spills into your life as a human being. And when you go home, you feel better and, and you can share that feeling with your family and the people on the road. And we, and we can reduce toxicity because toxic behavior is turning us into um, well, angry animals. And this is not good. It's not good for our world, for our health, for ourselves, for anything. And I, I get very frustrated about the anger that I see always coming up in the world's news. Um, and yet we can, we can make a choice for ourselves to turn that into love. I talk about taking love into the boardroom and the people misunderstand me, but I mean it in, a, <laughs> in an energy sense. Um, because one of my passions is to understand why we've got so many uh, all-male boardrooms that don't invite women to work with them. Because that, that difference and that diversity is going to be the shift change that we need in our economy, certainly in America and also in my country. Well, I agree. I think it, we need that worldwide. It, we really do. That yeah. diversity and, and how you said it before, honoring that diversity and honoring our differences really makes us stronger because all the gaps we have as human beings can be filled by another human being. The problems we have or the shortcomings we have can be filled by somebody else where we can actually surround ourselves with people that, that don't think like we think and don't mm -hmm. have the strengths that we have. But because they are stronger in other ways and they have different characteristics or different values, it actually builds us up because we all benefit from it. So I, I love what you just said there and kind of how I want to wrap up this episode is the fact that we've hit a lot of great stuff about honoring differences, about ownership, about culture. And what I love about where we can leave it off is the fact that recognition becomes a beneficial part of it because I've talked about this so much that People are social. We're not individual animals uh -huh. and we seek social esteem. And through this process of, of seeing how you can own some of these, these issues or some of these solutions of collaboration, of conversations where differences are honored and of recognition, you gain that, that social esteem. And that can really, and I want people to understand this, that social esteem you get from a process like this or through a, a conversational system like this, really does lead to solutions such as losing employees, such as engaging employees, uh, yeah. retaining employees, and even recruiting new employees because people want to be part of something that gives them that social esteem. So that's all great stuff. And so as we kind of wrap up this episode, can you give us maybe one key takeaway, something somebody can do to either change their mindset or a skill they can start building on, something that if, if they wanted to change something about them, something that helps them have these better conversations, what can they do today or tomorrow, right now, that can actually help them start having these beneficial conversations? Um, well, one of the things is, uh, instead of when you meet somebody saying, oh, what is it you do? Oh, I do this, you do that. Talk about value. And so maybe when you meet somebody say, oh, hi, you know, um, what kind of things do you value in your life? I really value freedom or excitement. You know, what about you? Because when we talk about value, we start creating a flow of interest. And what we're saying unconsciously and consciously is that you're valuable. So there's this lovely conduit between what are your values and being valuable. And I say, I, I talk a lot in my work about value creation. And the, the only thing we can create is value 
by knowing our own value. So talk about values and, and what you value and ask somebody what they value. And you'll be surprised how that will spark their imagination. Wow, what a wonderful place to kind of kind of leave off about values and value creation and really having a beneficial conversation that that is more rich because we're not just doing the same old, hey, what do you do for a living? Hey, where do you live? Or where are you from? Or something like that. But about a value, I think that's that's an awesome piece of advice. Or something, <laughs> uh, really, I mean, it really does. It adds richness to life, right? Like I can oh, yes. how you would come out of a conversation like that actually feeling better than when you entered the conversation. It, it really does seem valuable. So I know there's a lot we talked about, a lot we barely, barely, barely were able to touch the, the surface of it. So if people want to know more about you, what you're doing, get more information from you, where can they go to get more information? How do they contact you? Uh, how do they get a copy of your book? All of that good stuff. Okay, well, uh, the book is available on Amazon. Uh, so if you search for it, Magical Conversations, Transforming Conflict into Collaboration, Dr. Pauline Crawford, you'll find it on Amazon. It's as a print book and as a, um, an e-book. Uh, and also, I'm, my website is www.missmagicalconversations.com. Um, or you'll find me on LinkedIn, Dr. Pauline Crawford and on Facebook as Pauline Crawford Oms. So I'm out there in the environment. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, always under Pauline Crawford or Pauline Crawford Oms. Find me, contact me. I've got a, uh, a calendar link. Come and talk to me for half an hour. No charge. Find out what it's all about. And if you have any difficult relationships in your life, I'm sure that I can help you find a way to a magical conversation. Well, I'm pretty certain, uh, based on all the conversations I've had, everybody has a relationship conflict somewhere in their life right now. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's that's just the, the way about, it is. <laughs> that's the thing about, you know, everybody thinks they've found difficult people in their lives. And I'm always saying they're not difficult. It's just a difficult situation. That's right. No, I love that because two people can stand next to each other, look at the same thing and experience it a completely different oh, way based on yes. the perception. So I love that. And I will put links to... MissMagicalConversations.com. I'll put a link to your book, how people can get a hold of you. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a super valuable conversation we had to have. I've learned a lot. Oh, thank you. It's been magical, of course, Mike. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I love your insights as well. Uh, it's very, very, very magical. Well, this is really great. I appreciate you coming on. So everybody out there, if you enjoyed this conversation we just had with Pauline, if you have a chance, please share and review the podcast. That really helps. If you need anything from me, I'm always available. Go to crucialtalks.com. You can connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever works for you if you need anything from me. So have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.